Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. In this episode, I talk to the founder of the winning frozen plant-based food brand, Strong Roots. I met Sam Dennigan through LinkedIn in 2017, and as a result of one of those great phone calls that neither of us were really expecting, we ended up working together on various projects at Strong Roots for nearly a year in 2018. Sam has recently been described as down-to-earth, dynamic, and deeply passionate about food. And I can add that he's also a really nice person who just happens to have a great creative and business brain and a huge amount of energy. Here's our interview earlier this week, where we discuss the spectacular success of Strong Roots, their plans for international expansion, and go into detail on some of the key drivers of their success. Sam, hello and welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So Strong Roots is now four years old and you've recently taken the UK by storm. And in fact, you're now the fastest growing food and beverage brand in the UK. And you've won loads of business and food awards, including the Golden Nexty Award for your kale and quinoa burger in the USA. So for those of our listeners who may not know all about Strong Roots, tell us about it. What is it? Who's it for? And where's it sold? Sure. So Strong Roots is simply tasty plant-based food designed for busy lives. It's for everybody. And it's very specifically something that we want to be accessible um, and be a gateway for people to try convenient plant-based eating. Tell me what I'd see if I went into a store. What am I, what am I actually buying? So we have a range of what we call potato alternatives and meat alternatives. All of our potato type products are like sweet potato fries, garlic roasted sweet potato, mixed root veggie fries with beets and carrots and parsnips. We've got kale and quinoa burgers, which have won tons of awards. And we've got spinach bites, which is like a a nugget shaped spinach product, which we have a dehydrated vegetable flakes made out of carrots and beetroot that tastes ridiculously sweet instead of kind of traditional gluten-based breading. All good, all vegan, all plant-based, all delicious. And who is your consumer? Who eats it and why? Our key consumer, who we call Sophie, is a young urbanite female who uh, is a young professional and likes to eat on trend likes to indulge just as much, but has a very flexitarian ethos when it comes to daily consumption. Uh, Reducitarian is another term that's been used quite frequently now, which is not in complete isolation of animal-based products like dairy and meat, but a definite move towards a heavier weighting on on plant-based products. Okay. And when would she eat these products? I think our our existing product range mainly uh, services a consumer around uh, midweek mealtimes as the healthy backup that we hope you have in your freezer. We've developed some products in recent times which have bridged into other eating occasions like breakfasts and we're always trying to figure out what other times of the day that, that people could consume strong roots. But principally, it's a 
evening mealtime center or side of plate products, uh, which is consumed in the home as opposed to on the go and as a convenient backup as opposed to someone who is spending three and four hours scratch cooking. What's the difference between your products compared to, say, some of the products that I could have already bought in frozen food or in fresh food before you you landed in, in Ireland and the UK? They taste great. <laughs> OK, they taste great. All right. So, I mean, you know, is it better broccoli or is it, you know, explain to people who don't know what strong roots, what are your best sellers? I think, you know, the, the easiest way to describe this is that the, our products you know, before and after they go through the production process still look like real food. Okay. Using whole ingredients. We're using incredibly high quality ingredients. We're very vertically integrated with the farms. Um, My background is in agribusiness and it's a huge part of why we do what we do, which is to make sure that people are getting the shortest journey and the least interaction with raw materials before they consume it in the home. Okay. And... As a result of that knowledge, what we try to bring is a simplified version of manufactured products. You know, some of, some of our things are, are very close to the original and some of them are a little bit further away, but always, you know, in their original form as opposed to using artificial, you know, man-made ingredients or, or colorings or, you know, we're, we're completely plant-based and GMO-free, which is very important to consumers now. So with, with every box that can be ticked it's real good food and I think the differentiation between us and some of the bigger and more legacy brands out there is that you know they lost their way a little bit and our opportunity as a challenger brand is to both find a way for the consumer but also help the industry find their way again as well. Okay and you you speak you know with an awful lot of knowledge and understanding of the category and manufacturing because your background has actually been in the food industry for quite a long time hasn't it you haven't come to this fresh so to speak yeah well i came through it exactly through fresh <laughs> my family's business was founded in in 1975 of the same name after my grandfather and they have been one of the uh, main suppliers of fresh produce and food to the Irish market since the mid-70s. And I grew up in that business. I was born in 1985 at a very early point in that business. And essentially, you know, for as long as I can remember, we've been a part of that business from, you know, Saturdays going over with dad uh, through until our teens when we got summer jobs, understanding and, and, and packing vegetables and and doing a lot of work with farmers to make sure that the supply chain was filled for various different food service outlets and, and, and later then retail. So I've been involved with agribusiness and food from the get-go. And how important do you think was the sales element of that? Because you've spoken about, you know, packing boxes and understanding the supply chain. But I know you as someone who's incredibly uh, customer-focused and in a great salesperson. Did you learn some of that in your your parents' business? Yeah, I think we were brought up to understand that everyone in the business has to be a salesperson because you never know when there's going to be an opportunity to tell people what you do and convert a a customer or company or whatever. So from a very young age, unknowingly to us, we were taught sales. I say us, there's, there's only myself, my brother and my family. 
and we've kind of had the same things instilled in us when when we didn't even realize it you know cut to 2005 i'd come home for a summer to make money in the dublin fruit vegetable and flower market which is based on mary's lane between smithfield and capel street and it was really my first proper insight into sales um, from a trading perspective and after a brief stint in the warehouse picking orders i was put behind the desk and given a call list to customers without any direction whatsoever to to go and make sure that we got their orders and learn everything from the ground up and that's when i got the bug it was the fiscal goal at the end of the day of you either made what you were supposed to or you didn't and you gave it away to someone else and there was that kind of competitive disadvantage of coming in with no knowledge that uh, that made me get really excited about commercial business. It's really interesting you say that because when I speak to startups, food startups who are, you know, not necessarily growing as quickly as, as you guys have or they're a lot smaller still and they are people who uh, might have been lawyers or might have been accountants or teachers or, you know, mums or dads or whatever. And they start up a food business and they imagine that they're supposed to be getting it right from day one. To hear you speak about the years and years and years of probably getting things wrong and learning the hard way makes me realise that um, everybody in the food industry who's starting up should realise that, you know, it's a totally different profession. It's a new profession and you can't be hard on yourself and kind of say, I should be getting this. I should be able to do what those great insurgent disruptive brands are doing. It's not the case, is it? I mean, you and I couldn't become a lawyer tomorrow if we wanted to. Yeah, I've often thought about it with the bills that I'm cutting at the moment. But um, <laughs> my, my, I brought my dad to an award ceremony at the, the Irish Times Awards a couple of weeks ago. And he started telling, he, he asked me if I could remember a story about one of those early days in the business. He was telling me the story about uh, a customer that had bought a pallet of broccoli off me in, in one of the first days in the business. And two weeks later, I, I went to him to tell him that, you know, we had this customer who had brought back returns of a pallet, which was brown, running out of the boxes only two days after getting it. And, you know, I said to him, look, this wasn't the one that they got during the week. They have an old one. They made a mistake. They've sent it back and they're being dishonest about, you know, they're trying to get credit for something that's, that's wrong. And um, I said, we should close their account. Why are we dealing with people like this? It doesn't make sense. And he said, well, just before you close their account, go and look at how much their account is worth. And then come back to me and we'll, we'll see whether that's the right angle. And sure enough, it was one of the top five accounts in the country. It was worth a huge amount of money. And, you know, those things illustrate the classic old tactic of you know there's more than one way to skin a cat and you know what we ended up doing was essentially taking the product back in and overcharging the person for the following two months and ended up making you know probably 50 percent more profit on the difference as opposed to being keen because of the of the difference in, in the loss to, to the credited broccoli and you don't learn those things unless you're doing them yeah. and you end up making poor commercial decisions over it being black and white when it never is. There's always great. And you can only learn those things from hands-on experience. So one of the things that I really wanted to kind of dive into with you is 
It seems to me since I met you that you do things quite differently from a lot of the existing brands in Frozen and in grocery or to less successful startups. And often doing things differently comes from brave decisions or, or looking at situations from different angles. So I wanted to ask you, what decisions have you made that you believe are probably different to what others out there have done or are doing? And particularly in terms of where to compete, where to play. Uh, that could be in Frozen or taking the brand out of Frozen as you've done and going to the UK, going to the USA. Talk to me about those brave where to play decisions. Sure. One of the best and biggest risk decisions that we made was uh, launching as a single SKU, uh, okay. as, a, as a product line with our uh, sea potato fries. I think it's not normal to go out to market with one flavor or one kind, as it were, because what we've learned about the consumer, you know, since the 60s has been that, you know, people want variety, people want options because there are there are no perfect one products, there are perfect products for different people. And launching a single SKU is it was a decision that we made on the basis of being first to market in the Irish market. But it was also incredibly risky because of available space within the frozen category what ended up happening was the opposite because it was such a focal point and a standalone it generated a huge amount of fandom in a short space of time and became the market leader overnight and within its first year of trading ended up trading as the the number two and the number three product in the potato category having never been there before um it's amazing yeah it was it was an incredible first year and i think you know, the, the second big risk was making the presumption that with the knowledge of agriculture and background that we could play against the bigger brands and bigger companies within the frozen category in the first place. I remember in the middle of trying to woo our current UK sales director into the company during her due diligence uh, from a background of very experienced people from the, the innocent family you know, telling her that she was crazy to go into Frozen and and lots of people said the same thing. You know, why when people are migrating to fresh and chilled, are you moving to the Frozen category, which has been dying for so long? But that's also the answer to the question. You know, go where no one's going and um, don't become part of the conversation. You know, become the topic. So going into Frozen was you know, the success of the business so far. And now we've done that and we think we've earned the right to look outside and see where else we can play. So, you know, I think that'll be a big risk as well because of where we've established ourselves. But I think there is no point in coming into the food industry and not challenging the norm unless you're happy with just taking part and being me too and being commodity. And there's loads of business for that and tons of companies do really well in the food industry by being, you know, average and existing. And there's lots of room, but it's not of interest to us. So we intend to continue taking those risks because, you know, as we see it, what's the point otherwise? And do you think that, I mean, in Ireland, for, for those of those listeners who, who don't know, in Ireland or the UK, you guys have actually seen 
data-based evidence that you're bringing new consumer, new shoppers into the frozen category, right? You're creating new growth in the frozen categories. Do you think that's possible in other countries where uh, the frozen category is in decline? You know, can your entry potentially reinvigorate growth in other frozen categories around the world? Well, we're just about to launch into the biggest market for frozen in the world, in a, in a market where frozen is increasing because we believe we can add something new and differentiated to the existing well-developed category. I think in any market where there has been a comfort of bigger brands who once were challenger brands for any amount of time, there becomes a complacency for innovation. And it's usually because the accountants are running the business. And at the point at which that happens, it becomes about only profitability um, because ultimately businesses have to make money. But at that point, you know, other things start getting cut, values start getting missed. And, you know, that, that's a kind of a, that's a nightmare for a company like Strong Roots. But it's also a massive opportunity because we can go and, and be that R&D team where there has been none for years. So, you know, it's not just about territorial for us, it's about vertical in terms of category as well. Um, tell me, they- sorry for interrupting there, but tell me one thing, you're talking about big companies and no innovation. And I know when I was in with you, working with you for the, the 10 to 12 months on strategy, Nestle launched their gourmet garden range into a kind of meat-free plant-based range into Frozen around the same time as we were going into the UK. Yeah. And... I remember the conversations that we had about it. You were, you know, wait and see. And I was, I just can't see this brand working. And it seems that in the past uh, few months, they've actually pulled out. Why, when a big company like that enters a market like the UK, why can't they win if they've got the distribution, the experience? What's what's different between what you're doing and what they're doing? We, we ask ourselves this all of the time. And what, what keeps coming back up again and again is that the consumer sees right through the effort of big food to try and look like small food. Okay. Because they don't communicate the same way. They don't look the same way. You know, it hasn't been found and earned the respect from early stage adopters like small brands do. And as a result of that, it's blatantly obvious. And, you know, I would, I would hazard that people look at the back first now because of this massive distrust in food and ingredients. And it's, it's very plain to see really quickly that this is not from a mom and pop. This did not grow from something good because there's never a story. It's always a brand play and there's no passion in it. And that, you know, visually that, that comes across really, really clearly. Well, thank you, Sam. I mean, that's, you know, really, really interesting. It's what I've kind of felt, but you've you've put it together so um, in such an articulate way and from such a firsthand experience. Thank you for summing that up. We could talk for hours. I know you've got a, a cutoff very soon, so I'm going to stop us there. But I want to thank you so much for your time today and wish you all the very best. When are you launching in the US? You're already in store, right? Yeah, we launched two weeks ago, unofficially, and we'll start talking about it over the next couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, things are going well so far. Okay, and how many stores, if you're, if I'm allowed to ask that question? Yeah, so today we're we're in 
Just around about a thousand stories. Oh, just a thousand. Okay. You're, you're some man. Listen, the very best of luck. And maybe we can catch up again in in a few months and hear about how it's going in the States and lessons learned and how you're flexing your model over there. That would be fabulous. I'd love to. Always a pleasure. Thanks a mil, Sam. Thanks a mil, Sam.